what a personal brand really is, is who you're with, who you're aligning yourself with, the kind of statements you're aligning yourself with, what your real values are, real values, not values that you're just making up because people told you that you're supposed to have them and showing that, living those values or not living them. This episode is brought to you by The Travel Counselors, the only franchise travel company in the UAE. If you're inspired to start a business like many of the guests we have on the podcast, love to travel, and the thought of planning dream bucket list holidays lights you up, then this could be the opportunity for you. This flexible business allows you to work from home, onus, whilst travel counsellors provide the training, back office support, licensing, and access to industry-leading booking platform. If you're passionate about travel and have an entrepreneurial spirit and interested in joining a company that put care at the heart of everything that they do, then click the links in the show notes below. Now let's get into the episode. Today I catch up with Lisa Johnson who's on a flying visit to Dubai. I'm really grateful that she gave up an hour to come and share her knowledge. She's a business strategist from the UK who helps ambitious people create passive and semi-passive income streams. We actually met through my UK mastermind last year and this episode is so valuable, so many nuggets in branding and business growth. So let's get into it. Welcome to the show, Lisa. It's Thank great you. to have you here. Thanks for having me. I'm and excited. welcome to Dubai. Thank A little trip over. <laughs> what are you up to while you're here? Mainly sunbathing, seeing a couple of clients, yeah. doing a couple of videos. So yeah, it's nice to have that balance of a bit of work, a bit of play. And come here. And so come I really here. appreciate you getting up early and coming here. <laughs> no so worries. we've known each other for the so I've known of, of you for the past couple of years, but then we properly met last year when we were part of a mastermind group. Yeah. I saw you at the events and then we've kept in touch with I think is one of the biggest things about joining a, a community of other business owners is the friendship and the relationships that yeah. kind of go from it. It's why I'm always in masterminds. It's not yeah. so much that I learn lots more stuff, yeah. but I meet people who are brilliant people and who are inspiring people and who I end up keeping in touch with. And that's worth much more than yeah. anything else you can do in a mastermind. Amazing. And you also got your own mastermind, haven't I you? I do, yeah. Do you want to give people a little backstory? If they haven't heard of you, um, tell everyone yeah, what sure. it is that you do and yeah, your, your background. I help people make money from things like courses, memberships, templates, anything that kind of has a bit of a passive or semi-passive income recurring mm -hmm. revenue slant on it. And the reason I do that is because I started my business six years ago and kind of did what most people do, which is to do one-to-one -one work yeah. and realized after six months that I hated one-to-one -one work. I mean, I was getting to the ceiling where people were trying to give me money and I was like, I have no more time. How do people do this? Like yeah. I did really well in the first year. I made 220,000 mm pounds -hmm. in that year. And so that was more money than I'd ever seen. I do not come from the kind of background where people make more than 20 grand yeah, yeah. a year. And so it was like, okay, this is great, but how do I now make more than that when I don't have any more time? And so I put half of the money I'd earned so far in that first year yeah. to learn about different business models, different ways of working, any kind of passive or semi-passive income models, whether it was cryptocurrency, which I decided not to go down yeah. or drop shipping or courses or any of these different things and kind of started to add one in a time and refine it and see if I could do it a little bit better than I'd been taught. Got rid of some, 
And by the end of the second year, I was working like hardly any hours compared to that first year. Like the first year, I think I was working 80 hours a week and I didn't want, I little twins. Yeah. Like I couldn't do those kind of hours. And I was making 220. By the end of the second year, after I'd added all this information in, I was working around 30 to 40 hours a mm-hmm. month wow. rather than a week. Yeah. And I was earning over a million in profit. And that's when I kind of thought, okay, this is where I need to be because I can scale this yes. and did scale it and then started teaching other people how to do the same, how to get that, that freedom lifestyle, but in mm-hmm. a way that is right for them because not everybody, you know, we've made really lucky to have made over 16 million in the past six years. Mm-hmm. And I say we, cause I do now have a team. It's not just me. Yeah, yeah. But there are people out there that I work with that don't want anything like that. Like they have a different idea of what freedom and success means to them. And it's about making sure that we help them with what they actually want, not what society has decided we should have. Yeah, it's so true. I love that journey. So what got you into it in the first place? I had twins and I was working as a PA and then I was working as a a risk analyst in the city. So I was looking at all these different businesses in 2008. Some were crashing, some were doing well and I was picking up all this information. And then when I had the twins, I had to just find any job that was local to me so that I could, I was a single parent at the time. Mm -hmm. So it was like, okay, I have to find anything. So I was just a a personal assistant to a CEO, got bored, thought, okay, well, what can I do while I'm doing this? How can I make more money? Because I was like 35,000 pounds in debt at that point through a divorce and, and all sorts of things. Well, I could start a business, but I didn't know anyone that had started a business. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about business, if we're completely honest about yeah, it. of course. And so I started a wedding planning business ah. and I made loads of mistakes and I earned no money in the first year. I was like in minus and it got me though into self-development and into thinking, well, some people start a business and they make money. What is the difference between those that do and those that don't? And it fascinated me. And so I started reading books and going to free webinars and all of those kind of things. And I turned that business around to become really profitable. And then when I let go of that business, I then started up my business six years ago on how other people could do that too. That sort of passive income or developing from that as yeah. well. I think some of the people listening, and I've certainly seen that with clients that I've worked with, are in that transition phase. So they're maybe in corporate, but they want to go and launch their own business. Yeah. And I think that you've talked about, like, there's probably no perfect time to start a business. And you're saying you've got twins, you had twins at the time, but you were in debt. And many people would be thinking, now is definitely not the right time to be doing my own thing. What would your thoughts be on that? You're right that there's never a right time. And also I think necessity plays a part. So with Mm. me, I had to make money. I was the breadwinner. I had to find a way to make more money. Otherwise I was never going to get out of debt. And in my family, there's generational debt. Mm. You know, there's everyone in my family from grandparents to great grandparents have always been living hand to mouth, living in debt, living in poverty. And it was just like a normal thing that, oh, well, you just get a council house and it's just like the done thing. And I wanted to break a pattern. And the only way to break a pattern is to do it. There is no right time to do it. Mm -hmm. And so I don't believe in this whole jump, just jump ship from your job and start a business. That's terrifying to me. Like the desperation that I think would show in your energy if you really needed to make money that badly can't be a good thing so I think it's a really good idea to transition Mm. just have a side hustle for a while learn on the side hustle and then you know you're never going to get anything right the first time no matter whether you jump ship or not so learn fail learn mistakes keep doing that until you can refine what you're doing and then you'll eventually make more money in your side hustle than you do your job and then you leave 
that's what I did. Happy days. So in that sort of journey there, what have been some of your best marketing strategies for people finding out what it is that you do and then buying a product and service? Yeah, I don't think business is complicated. I think people make business complicated. (laughs) And at the beginning, there were all these different strategies and there was all these like gurus telling me all these things I needed to do. And I felt like I had to do everything. And it was only when I kind of stopped and went, hold on, business can't be complicated. You are putting a solution to a problem in front of some people that have that problem and making them aware you have the solution. That is all you are doing. Once I realized that, all of my strategies changed to, so all I need to do is make sure more people know that I have the solution to their problem. So then everything became about visibility. So 80% of what I do on a daily basis is visibility. It's just making sure people know. So if I think about it, like, I didn't have an email list in the first year, which I know is a ridiculous thing not to have. So many people don't, but then it's your mistakes and you learn. Yeah, I didn't know it was a thing. So I had like Facebook groups and all these different things, like trying all these things. Now, if I was to do it again, I would just start up an email list and my only thing would be, and I still do this now, is to spend 80% of my time getting new people on that email list. Because if you look at when I started to exponentially make, you know, like the 4 million a year mark, Mm -hmm. my email list went in the exact same direction as the amount of money. And it was all based on that email list because you could have a really, I haven't got a bad product, but you could have a really bad product. You could be really like not have a very good solution. And as long as you have enough people seeing it, you will still make money. Mm. Like it's just a numbers game at the end of the day. And people don't realize that I think a lot of the time. So sorting your messaging out and having this consistent leads constantly coming in, no matter what your business, Mm. those two things, messaging and visibility, then you will always be able to sell and you will always be able to make money. And I think now that's really the only strategy that I'm really using, you know, like what are different ways to get another person today on that email list so that I can nurture them, so that I can use my personal brand so they can get to know me and so that they eventually will buy from me. And that's worked, you know, for the past five years, we've done a two million pound launch every year in a week, all from spending the whole rest of the year getting people on that email. It's one of the things that kind of doesn't frustrate me because if people don't know, they don't know. But it's when they fully invest into a social media platform. And then I say to them, you know, so what does your email list sit at? And they're like, well, I don't have it. And I just solely rely on social media. And that scares me when people do that. Well, I like social media, but at the end of the day, social media is footfall. Someone could see you and then never see you again on social media. Same with your website, if we're honest about it. Someone could see the website and then never see it again. And it goes out of their head. You bring them into your world. You put them on your list. And it's up to you to make sure they see you again, not them. Yeah. And, and that whole piece of then, you know, people get hacked and then they, they'll lose their account yeah, and what have you. So, so how often do you keep in touch with your email list then? Now, four times a week. Wow. Okay. So it used to be once a week for yep. years. I would just write to them once a week. I have a thing called the Friday one where I just tell a story and I segue into a business lesson. And it's usually so that they can get to know me as a person. So it yeah. might be about my childhood or my life, just random stories. Yeah. Because I think people like stories. Yeah. And I did that every single week. And that's what grew the list. And now, you know, we have like the lowdown where we tell them what we've been doing that week. Yeah. We write sales emails every single week. And I think people get scared. Like, but I don't want people to unsubscribe. Like if I send too many emails, people are going to unsubscribe. People are going to unsubscribe anyway. Yeah. Like 
Or they're not your ideal client. No, and also, do you really want a load of people on your email list that don't like hearing from you? I only want people on my list that love hearing from me and want more. And so I'd rather get rid of a a ton of people. Like, people always ask me, what's your email list at after six years? It's really low compared to, you know, somebody that's been in business for for six years and only concentrates on getting people on their email list. I actually have around 30,000 people on my email list. Yeah. Because I cull it every three months without fail and always have done. So if I'd have just kept everyone on it, yeah, it probably would be about 300,000 by now. Mm. But I don't want people on there that are there for the sake of it because it costs me. I remember going to a conference and Grant Cordon was speaking and he said something very similar that they did. It wasn't the terminology he used, but it was something like a happy dance when someone's unsubscribed because he said, they're never going to buy from you anyway. He was like, the whole office celebrate when someone comes off the email list we do that too we have more people leave our email list and come onto our email list every month and people are like but that's really bad marketing it's great marketing because <laughs> the people that are staying on there are buying yeah and you care you should always care more about sales than you should care about vanity metrics yes massively and I'm all for the vanity metrics having just set up my new Instagram page I saw a you few months that. ago but based on that so having you know writing a book and being you know going through the whole process of being authentic and then it's like hang on a minute what why am I still attached to this blue tick that was yeah. verified 47,000 it's dead accounts and start from scratch so much like yourself in the way of the email list going do you know what I'm starting smaller but I'd rather a smaller amount of people on the list and I bet you're finding so much more engagement so much more oh it, it would be I'm now two and a half thousand nearly three and the engagement between that and the 47,000 can be the same it's crazy isn't it yeah insane so um let's kind of touch a little bit on that personal branding piece and we've got the book to talk about because you've published how many books have you one actually my my debut book came out january 2023 went to sunday times bestseller which i was really pleased about um so yeah i've only done one i did get an offer straight away for a second book as you you do if it goes to sunday times bestseller and turned it down a traditional yeah i had two book publishers two of the biggest in the world asked me to publish a second book and I said no why did you say no because if we're honest about it we, t- we just talked about vanity metrics yeah I feel like I really wanted a traditional book deal lots of people self-published lots of people hybrid publish and I wanted a traditional book deal for mm-hmm. so long and then I got it like I had two two HarperCollins and Hachette both offer me a book deal mm-hmm. and I took one after I didn't have an agent, so I kind of just negotiated myself yeah. and took one of those deals. If I'm honest, I can see the benefit of self-publishing a lot more now wow. after being published. And I've spoken to so many people in my situation who really wanted a traditional book deal, who now self-publish their books after, and I'm going to do exactly the same thing. So I've turned down a really lucrative amount of money to, to write my book to just do it myself. There are too many things. So <laughs> when you just see it on the surface of it, of course, it's lovely to walk into a bookshop and see your book yeah. on the shelves. That's all I wanted since yeah. I was a child. And so I had to have a traditional book deal first so I could get tick that, that ticket box. Off. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's done. Other than that one thing, I see no benefits in a traditional mm. book deal. You do your own marketing pretty yeah. much. Uh, we do marketing as marketers a lot better than a 
book publishers, publishers. Yeah. well they didn't really understand how to use the internet to market <laughs> it was you know like I was like why aren't you doing social media marketing like they just don't they're very still stuck in how they used to do things before yeah. and I think I would love to use it for things like a book funnel mm-hmm. I'm not able to use it for that it costs me the same amount as it costs you to go mm-hmm. and buy my book yeah. and so it doesn't make sense for me to use it as a book funnel you are told what you can and can't have in it. So a lot of it was taken out that I wanted to keep in. Um, I wasn't allowed to write about my courses in there or put QR codes and things that would actually make me money in the book. The cover design isn't what I would have chosen. There's a lot that you don't have control of. And I'm not a control freak, but if it's a book that's going to be out there with my name on it, I want it to be as much me as possible. And so when I realized this, and I also realized talking to a lot of people that most people only get book deals because they have a big enough audience to sell the book. So like their brand, a yeah, personal brand. They, no media. one really cares what the book is about. Like yeah. so many book publishers say, I'd like to publish your book before even knowing what I'd write about. Wow. And so it was nothing to do with that. It was all to do with how many followers you have. Could you sell it for them? And I thought there's so many people out there that have a great story and actually their book needs to be read. I'll give you an example. There's a, a woman called Heidi Mavin, who I know, who helps people who have autistic children or n- neurodivergent children. And she wanted to write a book and the book was called Your Child Is Not Broken because so many people felt, feel like their kid is and they're mm. told they are. But her audience wasn't big enough for a mainstream publisher to want to publish her book, but her story needed to be out there. Mm-hmm. So um, she self-published yeah. with a company called Authors & Co., and she got Sunday Times bestseller with just self-publishing without a traditional book wow. publishing. Got to number one in all of the different charts that you can be in. Then a traditional publisher wanted to know her and said, oh, can we publish it for you? And she went on to publish it, yeah. um, but had broadly the same experience as me in how they market. And it showed me that there are hundreds of people out there, thousands of people that need their stories told that actually could help other people that just because they don't have the big audience yet, and never going to get the chance to do it. And so I now co-own a publishing company. I love it. <laughs> um, because I'm like, this can't happen. It shouldn't be down to just how big your audience is. There's more to it than that. It's more important than that. And yeah. so now I can help other people publish their books and make Sunday Times bestseller and make Amazon bestseller and, and help all of these other people and cause a ripple effect. I, I love that. And it was definitely speaking to you at one of our masterminds last year where we were talking about, you know, there was Caroline and, and Jordan were going, which route? And you were saying, no, if I had my choice again, I would self-publish. But I was very much the same idea as you going, but I want, I've self-published before. Yeah. I want to have that book in, in the bookshop yeah. and, and do all of that. But then when I realised it was my ego driving that. Yes. And if I took it away, what was the purpose of me writing the book? I want to help more people. Um, I want to get the book out there and I can do that quicker. Yeah. Self-publishing. It's um, easy to get waylaid though by your ego because who doesn't want to walk into, <laughs> you know, like, come on. These are things that are normal to want. But yeah. I think it's always looking at the bigger picture. Like, what's the purpose? What are you really doing it for? Like, yeah. for me, it was to, to cause that ripple effect, same as you but also to make money. You will make a lot more money self-publishing than you ever make traditionally It's going publishing. to be fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but just hearing, and I think that's the whole thing about even just hearing that kind of confirmation 
being part of a community, yeah. it, it helps you to propel you on, which then goes back to the relationships that is probably more that you get out of um, yeah. these mastermind groups than necessarily the business yeah, advice from the, the, the training in that space as well. So. Yeah. And I know people that are with, you know, like Caroline's going with Hay House yes. and I understand why she's doing it. And some of that as well, you have to make decisions based on what else comes with it. So Hay House, although not seen as one of the top big publishers like like Penguin or any of mm. those, what they do have that others don't is stage platforms. Mm. And I think that's a good reason to maybe go with someone like Hay House. You know, Hay is kind of seen as a hybrid yeah. publisher because then you get to stand on you get to stand on their stages and that helps you with visibility. visibility. So it's always about thinking what is the purpose? What's the intention behind having a book? Yeah. Um, and for me it was if people read my book, they generally come and buy from me. Mm. And so I need as many people as possible to read the book so more people can buy from me. And so to be able to give that book away for free yeah. as part of a book funnel would have been a game changer for me and I can't do it. So yeah. my second book will, will be that. And then selling it, at, I guess, because I've seen other people do using that strategy as yeah. it's like they're selling it. I think Alex Hermosi does that. Yeah, His they, book's 99. free, basically. Yeah, yeah 99 dirhams or yeah. 99 cent or something like yeah. that because then they're in control of it. Um, did you do an Audible book? An audio yeah, version. we did an audible. Yeah. Um, it was part of the contracts. So I went in, and, and how was that? It. Well, I quite enjoyed it. They yeah. said, "Oh, it's going to take you like three days," and I did it in five hours. Oh my goodness, really? I just read like as if I'm reading the book. Yeah, I, I quite enjoyed it. Well, I'm I'm about to start recording mine, and I'm like, how long? Is it, how many words was your book? About fifty thousand. Okay, so I'm sitting at sixty thousand, and they had told me, "Oh, you're probably going to need like two or three days." I it, don't it, think you will. I mean, unless, I guess I'm quite used to, I did TV presenting for a bit, so I'm quite used to just reading yeah. and not slipping up too much. I yeah. slipped up a few bits and they were like, just do that bit again, do that bit again. But I suppose if you're just reading and you're not into it, then I think you have to different. read it as if you're into it. Yeah. Because then you'll just get, you'll just read it as if you were reading a book. Yeah. I'm actually more excited about doing I think because I self-published before and I was like, why am I so excited about doing an audible version? I've never done it. And also I feel that that's, that to me is also part of my, the, the visibility, more people are going to hear about because you can download it straight away yeah. versus then just Amazon. Where are you on the Amazon list? Whereas I love an audible book because you yeah. can one o'clock in the morning and you're like, oh, I want yeah, to listen to something to and then you can and do it's it. it's great because it's your voice. They like, what I loved about doing the audio book is that people can't read it in the way they want to read it. They're listening to how I wanted it to be heard. Yes. Um, so, you know, the intonation is in the right place. And if, if it was supposed to be a funny line, I could laugh while saying it. Yes. Like, yeah. Those kind of things, I think, make a difference when someone's listening to a book. Oh, watch this space. By the time that this is aired, I will have recorded Amazing. it. So I'm quite excited <laughs> in it. So the personal brand piece, we've got, you know, the book. You also have your own podcast. You do a lot of speaking. Maybe kind of touch a little bit on that, because I think it's something that, Certainly more and more clients I'm speaking to want to do more speaking yeah. opportunities. I hated speaking. So like put a camera in my face and I'll speak to a million people and I'll be happy as Larry. Put me on a stage with 10 people and I'll feel sick. Like, And what is that? Because it's like live? Or? I don't know. I've always been like that. Yeah. I, like a camera doesn't scare me, but people do. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's probably is based on, I was bullied really badly when I was younger. Mm you know, to the point that I had a knife to my throat when I was 15 oh years old. Yeah. With, with a whole classroom of people jeering that person on. At it's school? Like proper bullying. Wow. Yeah. 
Um, and I left school early because of it. And I think that because I was, I was bullied for being poor, I had won a scholarship to a private school where everybody was rich and, yeah. and I lived in a council house. So it started right from the age of 11. And I think because of that bullying, I was terrified of girls, women, mm -hmm. for a long time. So mm -hmm. I would cross the road if I saw a group of women um, coming the other way. I just couldn't be in that space. Yeah. And so when I first started in this journey, like, standing on a stage talking to a group of women that didn't go well for me <laughs> like that terrified me um it's taken working on myself and um healing those kind of things that happened to me to be able to do it now but now I stand in front of a thousand people on a stage and and it's fine but it wasn't for a long time it took me a while to yeah. be able to do it but now I like speaking I'll still get nervous yeah. I'll still feel like I want to throw up before I go on um but I can get into it now because I've seen the effect it has I think when people see you and I think you can, I'm not very spiritual or woo in any way, but I believe that you can feel energy from people. Mm. And I think when people see me on a stage, they realize how authentic I am. And they can resonate. And... They know that I'm just telling the truth and I'm just there to help them and that's it. Yeah. And they feel that. And so I, I do well on stages. Yeah. Um, I don't think you always feel that as much on a camera you know because well it's that I missed that a lot during COVID yeah. it was that kind of energy from other people that Connection. you're doing what you're doing people are resonating with because you don't yeah. get that on camera you can't feel it back yeah whereas in a room you can feel it back and you know if you're on the right track with people and I and I like that I like to to feel that but energy back it's interesting now because I think if I'm not mistaken the majority of your clients are women yeah, they are. And that was never meant to be that way. Like yeah. I work with men and women, but 95% are women. That's really interesting. That fact on speaking, I remember Stephen Bartlett did a, a stat and he was like 70% of new business came from um, him speaking or people watching him on stage or seeing him yeah. speak. And then he followed up with not... A, is, and then and then another 70% of revenue that had reached his bank account had come from some sort of personal brand initiative. This and speaking was a, a, you know, a big driver for that, may it be video or whether it's uh, on yeah. stage. And I think it's that relatability. It is that. You can feel the connection between someone. Mm. And, and one of my, the things that people say about me is you're really normal. You're like us. Like they somehow expect someone that is making millions or is a millionaire to be different to them yeah. and actually I, I don't think we are I think everybody's broadly the same yeah. um, just with more of one thing or, or more of another and that helps them because I remember when I was first wanting to make money in business I'd look up at people and I'd find it really difficult to relate to people because I'd be like oh god like they are either really skinny or they like model looking or or they don't have kids or you know they've always had money and I'd find it difficult to relate to people and it was only when I saw that actually there are people out there that are just being their really normal selves mm. the same people they were when they were 20 but just with money yeah. and that made me go well if they can I can then and it it helped me inspired me to be able to make money and so I always said you know when if I ever make it if I ever become successful if I ever start making a lot of money I'm going to show people that you can just be the same person with money because then they'll realize they can do it too. And I think that's a, for someone to be able to look up and see someone from the background that I come from and go, well, she's made money, so I can. 
that's all I want. I want them to see that that, that can happen. But and, and I love that. But a lot of people also don't love that. And I think if I'm right from some of the posts that I see in the chats, people give you a bit of a hard time. Oh, I get a lot of hate. Yeah. yeah. And um, I think, you know, as much as you're building a personal brand, there's the other side to it. And I don't think I talk about that enough. And I only just recently, one of my videos went viral and it was quite funny. It was nothing related to, to what I was doing in personal brand. It was an observation. Yeah. And I think it's sitting at like 2 million now. But the comments that have come Harsh, from right? Yeah. And I was like, that was a little bit of like lighthearted. There was nothing derogatory in it at all. And it's amazing what people can turn around they and go. find something. Yeah. And then go like, <laughs> you're basically a horrible person for, for doing that. Yeah. So you've had your fair share of... I've had a lot of, of trolling, of negativity, of, of competitors trying to put me down, that kind of thing. Mm. I've had that right from the beginning. And I think if I'm honest about it, I was kind of used to it being bullied anyway. So it didn't affect me as much as it maybe would have somebody it knew is, that yeah. wasn't used to it. I always knew from the beginning I was talk- going to talk about money. Mm. And six years ago, no women were really talking about money online. Men were. But women weren't because we're told it's vulgar to talk Mm. about money. We shouldn't be doing that kind of thing. And um, my money mindset was so bad when I started in business that I was like, if I start making money, I'm going to show my bank statement. I'm going to literally show people this can be done so that they know that it can be done. Yeah. And so I did. You can imagine. You can imagine what that started. Um, What what did people say? Because I'm like, oh, my God, that's so inspiring. But People hated it. So men hated it first. Um, So if I'm in a newspaper... So I was in a newspaper in 2020 talking about, I think it was the Daily Mail, which is probably the problem, but um, talking about how during COVID, my business went from strength to strength and I was able to employ more people. I didn't need to take furlough or any of that kind of stuff because obviously helping people come online was a big thing. And all of the comments, 100% of the comments were from men, all saying things, derogatory things about me, whether it was about my weight, whether it was about that wow. I should get back in the kitchen. Well, like, honestly, it, it, men who aren't making money, the worst thing to them is women that are like, that's what I've, I've realized. Wow. Um, but when I put stuff out on social media, then it's women. So women who, and I get it, like I have learned to get it at the beginning. I didn't really understand why me just talking about things I'd done and trying to inspire others to do the same yeah. would make people have such a visceral reaction, a hate, hate reaction. Mm. But I, I've done a lot of work and I, I get now that if you are feeling any kind of envy, if you're feeling any kind of self-esteem issues, that needs to come out somewhere. And we're all our six-year-old selves running around. And so that six-year-old will make sure that you find a way to protect yourself. And by looking at someone like me and going, well, she's probably a horrible person, so I'm glad I'm not making the same amount of money as her. It's like you're that justification. Pro- yeah, you're just protecting yourself. And I, yeah. I get it now. And so I used to like really dislike these people and find like I was defending myself and all sorts of things. And now I, I don't at all because I understand where it's coming from and it's nothing to do with me. And what do you do? Do you just ignore just it? Ignore it. Do you delete them? No, I quite like them to be there because I want, I think that in this online industry, there's a lot of pretense going on. Like I spoke to my coaches and mentors about it and they're like no it never happens like they all just delete them because it looks bad and mm, I don't want that to happen I want people to see that it happens and even if it does 
you absolutely can still deal with it and it's not going to make a difference. And, you know, your business is still going to grow. You're still going to grow. And that's just the nature. I think that then goes back to how we talked about vanity metrics in the beginning, but then the authenticity piece of going, not everyone's going to love you. Yeah. And it's okay for everyone to love you. Yeah, that was a really big thing for me coming out of the fashion industry, going into this full-time personal branding rather than just the style piece and going, doesn't matter if you're not wearing the latest piece. It doesn't matter if the clothes are three years old. It doesn't like that whole shift and going, I don't, it's not, I, I think it's naive to say that you don't care. You will always care a little bit yes. what people think of you. I yeah. don't think you can ever not care. People say, um, you know, what people think of me is none of my business. And I know that to be true, but it doesn't mean I don't want to know what, yeah. it, it, you know, yeah, yeah. That, that's going on. But what I do think is if everyone likes you, you will make less money. Ooh. Let's elaborate on that a little bit more. Think about the people you know who are really well known, whether it's Kylie Jenner, mm-hmm. Andrew Tate, Ricky Jaray, anyone that's really well known, they are not universally liked. Mm-hmm. There is always a marmiteness about them yeah. where a percentage of people, usually a lesser percentage of people like them, if we're honest about it. And I realized really early on that people that are really successful as CEOs live and die by their values. Yeah. They um, are not scared to say their values. They're not scared that that's going to scare people off either. They will say what they really believe and what they really think, knowing that 95% of people might actually really dislike them for it. But the 5% will buy everything they do Mm. because those values are so aligned that it's like a magnet pulling them in. And I've seen that. Like as soon as I started talking really early on about integrity in the industry, the pyramid schemes that are out there, the people that are just doing some just unethical stuff, quite frankly, out there, I wanted to talk about it. And my coaches said, don't talk about that. If you talk about negativity online, some people are not going to buy from you. They don't want that negativity. I was like, but this is a real thing that is happening and people are being conned by it. Yeah, but, you know, don't get involved. And then I was like, I'm getting involved. (laughs) And I got involved. And what that's done is if you ask anyone why they work with me, they don't say it's because I can teach them how to make passive income or strategy. They say it's because their values are the same as mine and they're sick of the the nonsense out there. So what are your values? My biggest value is integrity and honesty. Mm. Like there is too much out there that's not transparent. There is so much misleading going on. You know, this 2023 the amount of pyramid schemes that popped up in our industry that normal people that had been really good marketers before who had suffered during 2023 because it was a hard year in business yeah. suddenly jumped on the bandwagon of. Uh-huh. And, and it just, this is going to happen. It's cyclical. I've seen it since 2008. You know, I'm, I'm lucky to have been in a financial industry where I've seen things in cycles. But people were getting conned left, right and centre, still are. And no one's talking about it because we're not supposed to talk about anything negative. Like, no, that's not happening. Like my audience are the people I care about. Mm. And I will warn my audience of things that are out there. I won't do it in a way that names people. I don't think you have to do that. But I will talk about concepts that shouldn't be there. And it works for me because if I'm going to put myself and my money on the line, to do that. And that is what you're doing when you're doing this. You know, you're going to make less money if you start talking about this stuff, then my audience trusts me. And then that in itself, at least the the personal brand is the trust, the credibility. wealth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And they trust me. They know that if I'm, if I'm going to do that, then when I do say that something is is a good bet to buy, 
then they can trust me that it is. Yeah. And I think that personal brand, the words personal brand mean, means so many different things to different people. But to me, it doesn't mean a website. It doesn't mean just your messaging. It doesn't mean what people say about you when you're not, not in the, the room, room, which is what everyone <laughs> says it means. I think it's, it goes so far beyond that now because we're in a, a world where we see a lot of everybody, you know, nothing's hidden really anymore. You mm. can find out quite a lot of information about somebody. And I think because of that, what a personal brand really is, is who you're with, who you're aligning yourself with, the kind of statements you're aligning yourself with, what your real values are, real values, not values that you're just making up because people told you that you're supposed to have them and showing that, living those values or not living them. I always say that, you know, your personal brand isn't just the good things. Like people say, well, my values and they're all moral. But actually there are plenty of people out there whose values are the opposite of that, still doing well. Mm. And that's okay too, because that's what they believe in. And, and like, drives I that. think Andrew Tate's a really good example of that. Like he, not, not many people like him, uh-huh. but the few that do will buy anything from him. Mm. But his, he's not saying his morals are like, super squeaky clean he's just saying this is how I think it is and you know that some people will think that's bad some people will think that's good I don't particularly like it but I know a lot of people that that do like the things he says and they will buy from him and that just goes to show it doesn't have to be your your values and your personal brand don't have to be all holiness and light they can be dark and people will still buy from you as long as you say what they are and you stick to them yeah what do you say to people that or like, I, I don't want, I don't want my face to be in my brand. I'm, I don't want my business to be about that. Kind of what's your take on that? I think it has to be to these yeah. days. I think maybe 20 years ago, it didn't have to be, but the, the world moves on and how we market moves on. And at the moment, personal brand is, and your face and the things you believe in are really important. And one of the things that I went wrong on, kind of failed on, if you like, is last year I bought out a brand called That Strategy Co that I had decided was not going to be a personal brand. I was like, okay, here's my personal brand, Lisa Johnson. And over here is That Strategy Co. And it's going to be a suite of accreditations that people need, whether it's how to be a Facebook ads manager or how to be a strategist, CPD accredited. So I got it all like proper, you know, tied up, it's all good. And I was like, but I'm not going to be on it. I'm just going to be the founder of it. And my team is going to run it, put it out there and Within the first month, I realized very quickly that was not going to work. Wow. Okay. And that actually even brands that aren't a personal brand now need a personal brand. And that's why, you know, you look at Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop. Goop wouldn't be selling anything if there was no Gwyneth Paltrow saying that she owned Goop. Yeah. You know, you look at all of these different businesses and we think of them as just brands, not personal brands they actually still are personal brands because whoever is the person that founded them are still the people making sure that everything's pushed a certain way. And so we realized that really quickly. It was like a big lesson for me and had to start putting my face on things a little bit more and a few videos for me and making sure that people realized that actually that company is owned by me, someone they trusted, because otherwise why would people buy, buy from it? it? Yeah. Because there's no trust there and, and the trust has to be built. And how would, how did it go? Well, it's it? gone well now, but <laughs> it took, I was like, oh my God, what have I done? Um, because I think in my head, I thought having a non-personal brand means in the future, you know, it'd be easier to sell and yeah. all those different things. 
But actually, that comes lots later. That does not come at the beginning of starting a brand. I love that as great advice. Um, what's next for you? So you've touched on a, a, a book the, that's going to be self-published. Yeah. Um, what else is happening for well, you? I want to help other people with, with books as well. I want to do more speaking. Um, I'd love to do more speaking here in Dubai and in America. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like I want my ripple effect to go wider yeah. now. Um, I want to help more people have businesses in a way that works for them. And my messaging is kind of changing. You know, we evolve, we all evolve. And my messaging has kind of gone from passive income to strategy. Like I'm known as the strategist now. And now it's moving even further away from that and into what is a, a life well lived? Mm. Because I feel like we can make all this money. And people told me, you know, money isn't going to be the thing that makes you happy. Right at the beginning, lots of people told me that. And for, when someone doesn't have money, that's ridiculous. So I'm like, that definitely will make me happy. That is the thing that's stopping me being happy. And so I obviously then went all gung-ho making a load of money and realised it wasn't going to make me happy. Mm. So I have a new project called A Life Well Lived that was born out of my best friend dying in January, a year ago now. My best friend died and people said... He like, he, le he lived such a well life, like it was a life well lived, such a positive life. And it confused me. He wasn't married. He didn't have a girlfriend. Mm -hmm. He hadn't had kids. He didn't have a successful career. He was a nice guy. And I was like, what? My whole idea of a life well lived is to do everything, do all the things, be successful, make the money, have a family. And I asked people, yeah, why do you, why are you saying that? Like, what do you mean by it? Like, I know he was amazing. He was my best friend, but why do you think he had a life well lived? And they yeah. said, because every single person that came into contact with him had a better experience than before they came into contact with him. Yeah. And I was like, and it kind of just like epiphany, yeah. <laughs> like that is what matters. And so now I'm doing this project where I've been doing it for a year since February, um, 2023 where I try and have an impact every single week on someone that wouldn't have known me before, mm -hmm. wouldn't have had, you know, whether it's money. So some people need money and I have it so I can do things that way, like strangers on the internet or uh, whether it's time or whether it's knowledge or whether it's me being able to immobilize my audience to do some things for somebody mm -hmm. just to see what that does, like an experiment of what, whether that really is a life well lived. But so far, like I would say up until 2023, I had what you would class as everything, perfect family, perfect husband, perfect kids, you know, perfect house or the mm. money I could possibly want. I wouldn't have said I was fulfilled. Now I'm getting to the point where I'm starting to feel fulfilled. Mm. So there's something in that that I'm playing with at the moment. And, and maybe that's what the book will end up being. I love it. I think there's also something quite interesting in that, that um, where, what you started in and, and where you are. So we talked about the evolution, but the aspect of you've become well known for one thing, yeah. which was the passive income. Then it's the kind of the make money online. And then you've built all your trust within that, which then allows you and your personal brand to go and talk about, in fairness, anything Yeah, you could because yeah. you built that up. And I, I think it's the mistake a lot of people do with their personal brand is they try and start with that. Yes. And then they go, but I don't want to niche and you have this. to niche. Yeah. Like, and they don't to want niche. to first because yeah. they're like, yeah, but I want to help more people and I want to do that. 
Whereas what you're doing is, no, I was known for this. I built this. Yeah, going on you to can this. broaden it later, mm-hmm. but yeah. you have to build trust first. Like if personal brand is anything, it's trust. Yeah. And you have to build that trust. You can't expect your audience to trust you before you've shown them anything. Mm. Um, and it takes a long time. And I think if I could give anyone anything in this industry, it'd be patience because <laughs> that it's, like people feel like oh, we're three months down the line. Why haven't I... Got oh, the yeah. trust or I've made done one strategy and I've not got enough clients yeah. yet. And it's like you've tried one thing. Like it takes time. It's taken me six years to get to the point. And and actually it's taken more than that because yeah. you know, well, you had your business, business for it. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and it takes time to get where you want to be. And and even then you won't be where you want to be because you will evolve and you will you will see things differently the more money you make and the more things you do and the more people you come into contact with. And mm. you know, suddenly things start becoming about legacy brands and and that's a whole different thing i love it how can people find you how can they get in touch what platforms do you use regularly the most regular platform i use is instagram so i'm at lisa johnson strategist on there um i do answer my own social media still it's me on there chatting away (laughs) um so yeah that's the best place perfect thank you so much for sharing a wealth of knowledge i feel i'm so excited to share um everything that we've talked about because it just so aligns with the personal brand and i wish you every success with your next project thank you thanks for having me welcome Did you enjoy this episode? If you did, then please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. This is how more people can hear about the amazing stories and guests that we have on here. Even better, you can also share this on social media. Screenshot it and share it on your Instagram or on your Facebook or on your Twitter account. The more people that see these episodes, the more awareness it brings to small businesses and those that are trying to make an impact and difference. And if you want to know more about how you can develop your personal brand, then check out our new website, Brand New Creators, designed by our in-house team. And we are in the business of helping you to increase your online visibility, build industry authority, lead change, motivate and profit. Who doesn't want that? I look forward to speaking to you soon. Until next time. Bye.